Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Collateral Damage 5. There was a leak somewhere. Zeva was sure of it. He sat in his prison cell all night, meditating, hearing the steady drip, drip, drip of water hitting stone. But as he woke from his reverie that morning, he saw no puddles or slimy walls. The keep, despite its exterior appearance, was dry as a bone. Yet still the dripping continued, through the morning and into the early afternoon. These hours passed slowly for Zevo. Nulif sulked, sitting cross-legged on her bed, arms crossed and eyes staring intently at the iron doors that separated her from freedom. Only Armin of Maribor, the kidnapped architect, kept busy. He rose before the sun and sat in the far corner of his cell, his hands fiddling with something underneath his bed. Armin stopped when he heard the solitary guard make his rounds, feigning boredom or sleep every time he passed, then resumed just as quickly. Zevo watched the architect with interest. Armin tried to pretend that he had no caged-up neighbors, but occasionally he would sneak a glance at Zevo or Nulif. The architect's beard and hair were matted, and he looked as if he hadn't showered since before a lander. Not that Zevo and Nulif tried to engage Armin in conversation. Zevo thought it best to let the man be for now. They had done enough to him after all. Besides, Zevo had the sound of dripping water to focus on. He searched every corner he could but he did not find a single leak. The Witcher found that curious, but did not comment on it. Newlift didn't either. Will, the aged warden of the keep, delivered their lunch, beef stew with broth the dark brown of walnut. Bits of green cabbage bobbed like dinghies, but Zeva was pleased to find four large strips of beef in his bowl, and the broth was well seasoned. The Witcher scarfed his meal, wiping the dripping fat from his lips and putting the bowl aside. Nulif and Armin had much the same reaction. Will collected the bowls from the small, square-shaped hole at the bottom of the door, just large enough for food to be shoved through. Zevo expected the warden to leave them with that, but the old man lingered, as if anxious to return to wherever it was he came from. You've brought some company with you, he finally said. There was no fear in Will's voice, just a tired resignation. You mean Lear and Jafe and the rest? Zevo replied. Will nodded and leaned against the stone wall. Nulif watched the warden, while Armin couldn't seem to care less. Aye, they're not afraid to overstay their welcome, it seems. I wouldn't mind so much if they were more open to having pleasant conversations, but... 
The company you signed up for, I suppose, Zevo said. The Hansa was still in the prison, which meant his witcher medallion and swords and decoctions were still in the prison too. Zevo could hardly believe his luck. I suppose we did, Will said, his bristly mustache twitching. Houtsburg owes no allegiance to the Redanian king. He never did us a lick of good. At least the gutter king keeps us safe and has done us no ill turns. What's the harm in letting a few of his people use this old keep that we hate? How long have you served this new king? Nulif asked, leaning forward. Since this new senseless war started, I was a farmer for forty-six years before I passed the stead on to my kids and grandkids. Spent most of my life in Houtsburg. Pretty late in life career shift, Zevo said. Why'd you sign up to be the gutter rebellion's head jailer? Because somebody had to. Better me than someone with no human decency in him. Will sighed and massaged his leg. I, I suppose I should be getting back to my office then. Let me know if you need anything. Will limped off. Zevo heard his footfalls disappear, then turned to Nulith. I'll bet my good eye, Lear and Jafe and the others are holed up in the warden's office. The iron bars between them obscured Nulith's expression some, but her knitted eyebrows showcased concern well enough. Maybe. What's your point? I'm getting my medallion and swords back from them, Zevo said flatly. My decoctions, too. One way or another, I'm getting out of here. Nulif craned her neck to see Armin on the other side of Zevo's cell. He was again sitting in the corner, hiding his actions from the world. And when you get out and confront Lear and Jafe and Delbra and the rest, what then? Zevo remained silent. Zevo, what then? I won't kill them if I don't have to, but they imprisoned us, Nulif, and would have killed us if we offered any resistance, without hesitation. You don't know that. Nulif's voice wavered. I do. You don't. Be sensible, Nulif. Zevo felt a curious anger rising within him, as if her naivete was the most offensive thing in the world. Any connection we had with them is severed. You wouldn't have killed them if you were in their shoes. I would have, Zevo said without hesitation. He regretted it immediately. Nulif watched Zevo for half a minute in silence, as if weighing out each individual word and assessing its value. Eventually, she said, No, you wouldn't. You're right, Zevo said, hoping he sounded sincere. I wouldn't. The Witcher and the Elf left it at that. Nulif lied in bed with her back to the Witcher, and the Witcher stared at the wall in front of him thinking on how best to escape. The remainder of the day passed in silence. Though Zevo couldn't see outside, he knew night had fallen when he saw Armin stand up and look down both ends of the hallway. A guard patrol had just passed, and didn't appear to be coming back any time soon. Armin stood near the iron door, looking it up and down as if appraising a horse. Got any thoughts on how to get out of here, architect? Zevo asked. Armin spun around in a flash, his hands gripped around what looked to be a crudely sharpened bit of stone, slightly larger than an arrowhead. And why should I assist you in this matter, he asked, which is the longest sentence Zevo could recall the architect making in their short acquaintance. You did nothing to help me when I was bound against my will. True, Zevo said. He had no excuse for that. He had followed Jeremiah and Yana on that misadventure, for all the good it did them. I'm sorry, for what it's worth. An apology does me little good now, Armin said. He turned his back on the Witcher and faced the door. 
He hunkered down and pressed the crude arrowhead against the door's lower hinge. He jiggled the stone for a second, his face screwed in concentration. He was rewarded with the tiniest click, but Armin's face looked joyous. He stood up with a grunt, then returned to his bed until the next guard patrolled by. When he was gone, Armin hopped out and stared at the door's upper hinge. He stood on his tiptoes and stretched his arm out as high as he could, but he could not reach the hinge. Armin hopped up, and the arrowhead grazed the bottom of the hinge before he lost his height and landed on the floor. Zevo smiled, and the beds bolted to the floor too. You could try using the refuse bucket for height, but it looks unsteady, and you'd have to spill all the piss and shit out of it. Armin glared daggers at the Witcher, but Zevo saw the anger and resistance melt away, revealing a cold realization underneath. Armin asked, How tall are you, Witcher? Six and a half feet. Armin sized Zevo up, then looked back at the upper door hinge, just out of reach. He sighed and said, Perhaps we'll have to work together after all. Do we? Zevo couldn't help but ask, suppressing a smirk. What's stopping me from making my own stone shank and undoing the hinges myself? Armin barked laughter, which surprised the Witcher. I didn't design this keep, but I've made my own share across the north, and most dungeons are designed the same. Building costs money, and typically most of the coin is poured into the stone in the iron. Armin wrapped his knuckles against the iron door. It's hard to break with sheer force, and is expensive. So most builders skimp on the smaller things like the door hinges, but that doesn't mean you can break the hinges off with sheer force. You need finesse and guidance, which you can offer, Zevo said. He held out his three-fingered left hand near the iron bars that separated them. Then hand that tool over, architect, and we can work together. Isn't that a nice thought? They felt the keep rumble above them, as if shaken by an earthquake. The stone walls and the iron gates thrummed. A second rumble followed, and screaming from the floors above. Zevo and Armin felt a shared sense of deja vu. No more time for hesitation, Zevo said to Armin, keeping his hand out. I can work fast if you can. I'd rather not get stuck in a second siege attack if I can help it. Armin handed him the stone. 6. The torches guttered like twinkling stars. Jeremiah estimated there were at least six dozen of them marching towards the town of Houtsburg, towards the run-down keep that served as a makeshift prison for the gutter rebellion. It was dark, but the craftsman's eyes had adjusted to spot several small trebuchets, loaded with barrel-sized chunks of masonry. Sir Isaac was true to his word, and planned to bring down the prison tonight. If Jeremiah's companions weren't trapped somewhere in the keep, he would have hoped the rebels and the Order of the Flaming Rose Knights killed each other. The craftsmen sat on a small hill, east of the keep. Silva had staked out the vantage point yesterday, and Jeremiah was impressed at the view it offered, while still remaining obscured from passerbys by trees and brush. You don't have to sound so surprised, Silva said when Jeremiah offered his praise, but her smirk told him she appreciated the compliment. They spent most of that afternoon lying in wait willing the sun to set faster. He had a plan in mind to break into the keep and free Zevo and Newlif, but it was roughshod and would require a heavy amount of luck. He talked through a hundred scenarios with Silva that afternoon, and most ended with them getting skewered on the wrong end of a spear. Silva said she wasn't fond of that prospect, 
but what else can we do, she concluded. The sudden appearance of Sir Isaac and his zealous knights complicated matters, and made things far more dangerous. But it also, strangely, provided a useful advantage. Distraction. Jeremiah and Silva just needed to wait for the right time to spring their plan. So Jeremiah watched the knights approach the keep, and fingered a special crossbow bolt he had spent all night making in Marco's barn, aided by his gnomish tinker's forge and Silva's eager assistance. She found the bolt's design fascinating. So did Jeremiah. The idea was sparked the night he, Zevo, and Ethramel slunk into a lander through the sewers. Since then, Jeremiah had pondered how he would enter a sieged city. The metal at the end of the crossbow bolt was fashioned into a crude grapple, with three curved hooks, each the size of Jeremiah's index finger. The grapple was hollowed out in the middle in hopes it would fly instead of plop to the ground. This, in the craftsman's estimation, made the contraption quite brittle, and he feared the hooks would bend or snap if his body weight was applied to it. But that was part of the risk, he supposed. Look at it this way, Jeremiah thought as he saw the knights in their trebuchets stop a hundred yards from the keep's gate. If it works, you'll have a fortune selling it to bandits across the continent. Look, Silva whispered, pointing to the knights. The show is about to begin. Sir Isaac rode out from the column of knights that stood stock still, like toy soldiers, an upraised torch in his hand. Up on the keep's parapets, Jeremiah spotted four shapes. At this point, Jeremiah didn't need torchlight to recognize the Hansa. He had seen quite enough of them for one lifetime. Liren Jafe of Zeracania, Proltier the Gnome, Delbra the Psionic, and Rissa the Elf stared down at Sir Isaac and his knights. Quite a show you're putting on, Liren Jafe shouted. Who are you? I am Sir Isaac of the Order of the Flaming Rose. Church of the Eternal Fire, Delbra sneered. Why are you here? To burn evil from these lands, Sir Isaac said, brandishing his torch. The townsfolk of Houtsburg had long since fled the streets, but Jeremiah spotted dozens of them peeking from the windows of their homes and shops. They were acting like any other commoners during a war, terrified, perhaps even more so, given that their town had been razed in the last two wars. We outnumber your forces two to one, Isaac continued. If you repent and open the gates, the eternal fire will be merciful. I've heard of the eternal fire's mercy. You think burning sinners at the stake is a mercy, Proltier said. He pressed his index finger against one nostril and shot a rocket of snot down below. The eternal fire purifies both body and soul, Sir Isaac said. Those that shy away from its flames are dooming themselves to perdition. You think you understand fire, knight? Lirinjave's voice remained calm, but it carried a commanding quality. The torches on the parapet gave outline to a dozen rebel crossbowmen taking their place along the wall. You're like a child that just discovered flint and tinder. Allow me to educate you. Lirinjave held his arm out, and a tornado of flame shot from his hand towards the knights below, engulfing one of the trebuchets in fire. Light bathed the chosen battlefield. The Hansa stepped back, and the rebel crossbowmen fired down. Bolts peppered the closest knights, who were too slow to pull up their shields. Sir Isaac reared his horse and shouted over the roar of the burning siege weapon. The knights' trebuchets fired in perfect unison. The keep's wall shook with the first salvo of jagged masonry, but held strong. 
The rest of the knights settled on firing their own crossbows, which, to Jeremiah's perverse delight, fired three bolts in rapid succession, pinning the rebel crossbowmen down. No better time than now, Jeremiah said to Silva. Hopefully, with all the rebels focused on the knights in front of the keep, their rear wall would be woefully unguarded. Jeremiah and Silva jogged down the hill towards the keep. They pressed themselves against the lichen-covered wall and listened. The sounds of battle were to their right. The parapets above them, Jeremiah judged, were very quiet. You should go first, Jeremiah whispered. What? Why me? Because I'm heavier than you, and I don't know if the grapple can support my weight. But you get in the keep just in case, to give us some chance at rescue. That's a lot of words to say you want me to test your invention, Silva muttered. Don't wait for me. Head straight for the keep the second you get over the wall. I know you can take care of yourself. I'll catch up with you as soon as I can. He expected Silva to retort, but she just gave a curt nod. Holding his breath, Jeremiah took a few steps back and aimed his crossbow at the keep's cracked crenellations. Jeremiah fired, watching the grapple bolt arc over the wall and lock in with a metallic clatter. Several meters of hempen rope were tied to the end of the bolt, and Jeremiah shouldered his crossbow and gave the hanging rope a light tug. It held taut. See you on the other side, Silva said. She bounded up the rope with surprising agility, and disappeared over the wall in thirty seconds flat. Wasting no time, Jeremiah gripped the rope with both hands, and started climbing, pressing the toes of his boots against the wall for support. This was the part, he knew, that required the most luck. Silva picked the isolated spot well, but all it took was one sharp-eyed guardsman, or a random patrol, to cut the rope and drop Jeremiah to the ground. The craftsman told himself not to look down, but did anyway. He was halfway up the keep, and judged the fall would break his back if he landed poorly. A little higher up, and he wouldn't survive at all. Yet he pressed on, arms burning and stinging sweat running into his eyes. A trebuchet fired, and the keep shook again. A fine powder of gray dust drifted from the stone wall onto Jeremiah's face. He gripped the rope tight, closed his eyes, and waited for the vibrations in his feet to stop. Jeremiah reached the top and dragged himself over the wall. He flopped onto the parapet in a huff, breathing deep and staring up at the night sky. Silva was nowhere to be found. Jeremiah saw a jagged piece of stone fly overhead and crash against the adjacent wall, shaking Jeremiah so badly he thought he'd fall into the courtyard. The craftsman hauled himself up, and squatted. Luck, it turned out, remained on the craftsman's side. A dozen armed guards rushed down the parapet nearest Jeremiah, to where the rebels crowded, forming up and preparing for a breach that appeared imminent, if the sagging stones near the gate were any indication. After a few relatively silent moments, Jeremiah stood up, turned in the opposite direction, and ran. He spotted a set of stairs near the back corner of the keep, built into the wooden floor like a window. It led into the courtyard, but, from Jeremiah's reckoning, looked to be the closest way to get inside. The craftsman had no interest in dawdling in the soon-to-be melee between knights and rebels. Jeremiah skidded around the corner and ran down the stairs, reasoning that if he kept moving, no one would stop him or wonder what he was doing. He still did not see Silva. He was three steps from the courtyard when he stopped dead in his tracks. At the bottom of the steps was Proltier. The gnome's back was turned towards the stairs, and he was hopping up and down, 
screaming orders at the rebels. You call that a defensive line? Crotier spat. There's gaps a furlong wide between some of you. Form up, gods damn you! I said form up, unless you want to get burned to death by those fire humpers. Jeremiah took a cautious step back, gathered his breath, and reached for his crossbow. He had three bolts loaded in the cartridge, but if he aimed right, he would only need one to split the gnome's bald pate like a melon. He looked over his shoulder and saw no rebels coming down the stairs. He aimed. A piece of masonry flew over the defensive wall, hanging in the air for a brief moment like the moon. Everyone watched as it sank to the ground towards a group of rebels nearest Proltier and Jeremiah. The rebels flung themselves away, and the stone lodged itself into the ground, spraying up dirt clods like sea foam. Proltier ducked and covered his head, showing his profile to Jeremiah. Hold firm, the gnome shouted. Reform that line. Don't let a few pebbles stop you from... Proltier jerked his head abruptly towards Jeremiah, his eyes widening. In a flash, he reached for a dagger in his belt. Shit, Jeremiah said, firing his crossbow. The gnome leapt to the side to avoid the bolt, and threw the knife with expert precision towards Jeremiah's head. The craftsman raised his crossbow by instinct, and the long-bladed dagger buried itself into its wooden bottom. Jeremiah stumbled back, the crossbow dropping from his nerveless hands. Proltier drew two similar-looking daggers and sprinted up the stairs, two steps at a time. Jeremiah barely had time to jump to his feet and draw his hammer before the gnome was on him. Proltier slashed once, twice at Jeremiah's belly. Jeremiah sucked in his stomach and walked backwards up the steps, swinging his hammer in front of him like a cudgel to force Proltier back. The gnome threw one of his daggers, skinning Jeremiah's shoulder. The craftsman grunted before spinning around and sprinting back up the steps, his mind shouting at him to find steady ground to make his stand. Jeremiah half expected a knife to bury itself in his back or at the base of his skull, but some of his old luck seemed to hold. Jeremiah ran back onto the parapet and spun around, raising his hammer to brain anyone that made their way up. Just then, Proltier leapt up the final two steps and landed in front of Jeremiah, daggers brandished. He flashed a toothy grin and threw himself onto Jeremiah, pulling the craftsman onto the ground. The gnome scrambled onto his knees and raised his dagger, ready to plunge them into Jeremiah's heart. Jeremiah screamed and swung his forearm at the gnome's head. Blood flew from Proltier's nose as he tottered off Jeremiah and landed on his side. They scrambled to their feet at the same time. Jeremiah grabbed his hammer and swung low, as hard as he could. He was just out of Proltier's reach. If he were an inch closer, the gnome would have run him through. But Jeremiah's minuscule luck held, and his hammer collided with the side of Proltier's skull. He heard a soft click, and the gnome collapsed into a heap on the ground, a thin trickle of blood running out of his ear. Jeremiah stood over the gnome for a moment, expecting him to leap to his feet and gut him. Jeremiah prodded the gnome with a boot. He shifted bonelessly. Jeremiah smiled with relief, and at that moment, the keep's outer wall collapsed from a trebuchet. Dust shrouded the night, cut through by torchlight. It didn't even settle before the knights from the Order of the Flaming Rose rushed through the opening, brandishing swords and torches and screaming at the rebels with all of their might. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. 
The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Zipkowski. The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red. And The Witcher Tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at TalesWitcherPod on X, or at TalesFromTheWitcher.Buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.